Welcome back to Empathy Always Wins, the world's exclusive youth leadership podcast on empathy and wellness. Please make sure to subscribe to our show if you haven't subscribed yet. Make sure to also tell your friends about the show. We're hosting really cool leaders from all around the world, including today's guest. Imani McGee Stafford is a women's NBA player, the University of Texas graduate, a mental health advocate, a poet, philanthropist, and model. Her goal in life is to be the person she needed when she was younger. She was born in Los Angeles, California, and grew up in an abusive household. Her journey to healing includes overcoming sexual abuse, neglect, and multiple suicide attempts. Imani believes she was given this platform throughout basketball to talk about sexual abuse, sexual violence, sexual education, and mental health. Without further ado, it is my honor to welcome Imani McGee Stafford. This episode is brought to you by Empowering Media. Empowering Media is a Canadian boutique social media agency delivering results to purpose-driven changemakers and social enterprises in our global community. Hashtag create to empower to join the movement. Imani, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the request and, and hopping on uh, Empathy Always Wins. It's, uh, it's always refreshing to have someone that uh, comes from a very different background than, uh, than, than most. And um, I'd, love to, I'd, love, I'd, lo- I'd love to really hear a little bit more on, on you and who you are and what your story and, and your purpose is, especially around mental health and, and, and sexual abuse. But I'll leave that for you to, to touch more on to. Um, so I guess to begin, I grew up in an abusive household. Um, I hate saying that because it makes my parents sound like villains, but in reality, it was just kind of unfortunate circumstances. Um, my dad trusted people to take care of me and they didn't. Um, and so it's just kind of like, that's how it was for me. And so my entire life, I was very depressed. I was very, um, just dark. And by the time, by the age of 16, I had tried to commit suicide three times and I ended up being hospitalized the first, like about two to three weeks of my junior year of high school. Um, and for those that have never been in a mental institution, it's quite terrible. Uh, (laughs) and at that point I kind of was just like, all right, like, we're not going to try to take our life anymore. Like we're here for a purpose. Like, it's bigger than me. Right. Um, and I didn't heal overnight. Things didn't immediately get better, but I was still here. And then I played basketball my whole life and I was granted a college scholarship to university of Texas. And I basically just ran away to college. And when I got to Texas, my head coach made sure that I had the resources I need in terms of mental health. And so, like, I had a therapist. I had access to um, drugs if I needed them, to meds if I needed them. I had I had an environment where these things were kind of encouraged and accepted. Um, and so, in college, things kind of got better for me. Um, and for me, growing up, writing was my, like, safe place uh, outside of basketball. And I used to write poetry. And my junior year, or going into my junior year of, of college, uh, I made the youth slam team in Austin uh, wow. in slam poetry. 
is like comp- competition for artsy people. That's what I always <laughs> say. Um, <laughs> and so you cool. perform your original piece. Yeah, no, I love slam poetry. It's super awesome. And the funny yeah. part about it was I had been watching slam poetry like forever. I just didn't know that's what it was. Like I was just watching <laughs> my favorite poems like performed on YouTube and stuff. Um, wow. And so basically you perform your original piece and people judge you. And so they have this huge competition called Brave New Voices and it's for ages 13 and 19 and it's in different places every year, but it's every city's uh, youth slam team and they come and compete. And it's so awesome. We just meet so many people of different like backgrounds. But in order for me to go, I had to miss like some practices in the summer and like workouts and stuff. And so like the deal with my coach was that I would bring our school media, which is like Longhorn Network, which is like, it's all about Texas all the time. It's only on certain networks. And I'm thinking they're going to do like a fun piece about the RT athlete, <laughs> right? It's going to get stuffed yeah. on a Thursday night. No one's going to see it. <laughs> and at the time I was performing a very like serious piece. I was performing a piece where I was kind of talking to my abuser and kind of confronting him. And they kind of like listened to my poetry and was like, uh, like, what are you talking about? Like, um, <laughs> you know, like it was a complete, like, I guess 180 of what they had yeah. thought they were going to experience. And um, they were like, do you feel comfortable talking about this? Because obviously from this moment, they had only seen me as you mind as a basketball player. And I'm six, seven. I have a huge personality. Like I'm always kind of bubbly and cracking <laughs> jokes. And that's kind of just my demeanor. And yeah, so they've never tell. seen this side of me. Right. Yeah. And so um, they were like, do you feel comfortable talking about it? And I'm like 19. There's literally a clip of me saying like, uh, I might regret it when I get older, but eh, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's so funny because it's just literally something that like I had no clue what it was going to turn into. I'm thinking it's just something small. So um, ESPN owns Longhorn Network. Mm. And I don't know how, but they see this piece that Longhorn Network is going to put out. And they're like, oh, no, this should be bigger. This needs to be better, bigger, better, whatever. And so they pick it up. They fly down their best um, reporter, Elsie Granderson, who actually won like a like award off of my story. Um, wow. And it becomes Sports Center featured. So now wow. it's. Exactly. Right. Like, so this thing that holy cow, (laughs) exactly. Right. So this thing that was supposed to like be nothing has now turned into like, it's running on sports center doing March madness at prime time. And like my grandma didn't even know some of the things that were on there. Wow. And at that moment, I remember being so scared and kind of like ashamed and like, I don't know how people are going to react. Like, Oh my God, this is just like, this wasn't supposed to happen. And like, you know, like at the time, these are my deepest, darkest secrets. Um, and it comes out and I'm so scared. And the response I received was just so amazing. Like I'm so many people reached out to me to be like, wow, you just told my story or you told my daughter's story or thank you so much for talking about these things. Like, I've never been able to tell my story and the, just the amount of people that like, it was people like it not, it wasn't just strangers. It was people that I'd known my entire life. Right. Wow. And it was crazy that like, I just kind of realized how not alone I was, mm-hmm. how much bigger this was than me. And like, at that moment I was just like, Oh, so this is why I didn't work. Right. This is the why, this is the reason those three times I didn't succeed. It's because this is why I'm here. Like, mm-hmm. this is why I have this trauma. Um, and so from that 
point forward, I was just like, wow, like this is why I play basketball. This is the purpose. This is why I'm here. And I've just tried from that moment forward to bring mental health, sexual violence, sexual abuse to the forefront of any and everything I'm doing. So when I walk in rooms, like these are things that are non-negotiables for me. And um, yeah, like I just try to be who I needed when I was younger and kind of be that picture of what it looks like to one, be a survivor of sexual abuse and to, to be living with mental illness and not jumping off a bridge. You're completely happy. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of just like what it looks like to live in that everyday space because like we're all in a spectrum and we often only see the extreme. So we feel like it doesn't apply to us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, this my whole body's covered in goosebumps. I, uh, I don't know what to what to say or what to. The only thing that I can tell you is that I feel the same level of responsibility when I think about men in the Arab world, and you know, with the same sort of narrative that that that, that you spoke with your voice and how people reached out to you. I, I kind of, uh, I I could relate on so many different levels with. The amount of uh, you know toxicity and in, in, in the way masculinity is represented, and you know as we discussed before the show, that's 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 really why I call the show "Empathy Always Wins." And and uh, I, I in fact before we even got on, I, I was watching a couple of videos you put out, um, and and how you really showed that understanding, understanding, um, understanding people, and having that superior sense sense of empathy really helped helped you overcome a, a, a lot of things and uh, even when you said that at the beginning of the show I, I hate to say that but but my father trusted people and you sort of uh, I, I didn't really take it that you blamed your father and I love that because uh, you really you really contrasted the word surviving with with thriving and the the, the woman I'm talking to right now I, I can totally sense uh, and feel her thriving um, in the women's MBA, and that brings me to this 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 next this next question. Where I, I just want to touch on how social media has played uh, that 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 much of an impact uh, as a leader in your life and as a woman in sport. Um, so I think it's so crazy to think that like there are kids that grow up with social media, like that have like literally grown up with this kind of beast that is social media right because like yeah. you know like I, you're similar to my age or close to my age like we didn't have this until we were like teenagers yeah. and it was still something like fairly new um yeah <laughs> and so uh like to see like just kind of where the world has moved in terms of social media um i'm not good at social media i'm probably <laughs> like uh terrible because i'm very like authentic like my brand when people ask me like what my brand is like i say authentic like so sometimes i am a hot mess and like people are like you probably shouldn't have posted that (laughs) but i can totally relate you know like i just feel like the fun part about social media is seeing these people um like when they're kind of dressed down and it's like what your family sees or what their friends see. And so like my goal and everything I do is to kind of give people a window to what it looks like to be me and deal with the things I deal with. And like, for me, that means that sometimes I'm a great role model and other times I'm a hot mess, but you get it all because people are multidimensional and you have to kind of show people that 
so that they understand that it's okay for them to do that. Mm. So in essence, embracing that, that sense of vulnerability, right, as a, as a leader. For sure. Vulnerability is so scary, um, but it's something that's like needed. Like my goal in everything I do is to create safe spaces. And in order for me to create a safe space, I have to be fully present in that space as well. You know, mm-hmm. like I can't tell people to be honest and to kind of like show who they are if I don't do the same. Yeah. How, how have you been able to cut through all the sort of BS that has happened to, to, to really come out and be that authentic and that raw and that, that Imani that, that, that really is, has come about today? Um, I think it's 50-50. So 50% of this is like an act of choice. Hmm. And then 50% of it is like, I've literally always just been this like annoying little firecracker. Like (laughs) I've always been like the, the like rebel or the like, if it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to do it and just kind of beat to my own drum kind of (laughs) kid. Um, and so like, I think it's 50, 50, like, so now as an adult is definitely an active choice. And sometimes I do feel naked and I do kind of like feel kind of like, um, I guess discouraged by the life I chose. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like as much as it's, Oh, you're so great. You're so awesome. Thank you for sharing. I am still actively sharing stuff that is yeah. like scary or like something that I'm ashamed of or, you know, like, so it is definitely a choice. Um, but also like every time I kind of get to that, that place and I feel that way, I meet somebody that doesn't have the same freedoms I have. And it's so thankful that I'm doing the work I'm doing mm-hmm. and it, it just makes sense. Right. So like for me, I'm no longer in active danger. So I can talk about these things. I live in a world, I play basketball for a living in my career. No one really cares what you look like, what you act like as long as you come to work every day okay? mm-hmm. and you play basketball. Right. So I don't have to be, have a certain image. And then third, like this will end at some point, at some point I will hang up my shoes and I will have to go get a a job and have a suit and kind of conform to what that job asks me. So for me, it's kind of like almost a disservice to who I, who I am and where I've come from to not do these things because I have the platform too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I always tell people, um, like, I think people, kind of unfair when we come to when it comes to social justice and kind of moving in these spaces right like Mm -hmm. if you're not doing the ultimate colin kaepernick form of sacrifice then you're not doing enough and in reality like colin kaepernick is a freaking millionaire so he can sacrifice to a certain level (laughs) that most of us can't but he can do that because he's ready to and he's capable of it so i kind of kind of try to tell people you know like my job isn't to get you to pour your life story out like I do. My job is to get you to share that 1%, to take down that mask just a little bit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, you know what? That's, that's, that's the whole purpose of the show. It's, it's not to turn people into those, uh, into empaths or like, you know, uh, extremely empathetic. It's, I mean, if people turned it down a notch and, and I quote you just a little bit, just a notch, people would connect on a much deeper level and, and sort of uh, understand and, understand more and judge less and uh i i i have nothing other than like bare respect to, to, to what you're saying and i know that you said that you uh you you owe yourself to you know create safe spaces and i'd like you to touch a little bit more on uh, your hoops and hope foundation because uh that's something that really intrigued me about about 
about, about your story? Yes. Yeah, so Hoops to Hope Foundation is my nonprofit organization. Um, we are very much an infant. We are like just getting started. And that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. You know, so um, basically the purposes of my nonprofit were one to um, promote arts and athletics because I very much like exist in that gray area. I'm a published poet and I'm a WNBA player. Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. The contrast, so, right? The contrast. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like both sides of me need, like I need to be able to write poetry. Um, but I also need to be able to play basketball. Like those two things don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. Mm. So I think we force kind of kids to be either or very soon when they don't have to be. Um, and kind of allowing kids to understand that you really can be what you want to be. You really can be whoever you need to be. Um, and then secondly is to promote family-friendly conversations, age-appropriate conversations about mental health, sexual abuse, sexual violence, and healthy relationships. Uh, because as you can see, as we mentioned already, that's like what I am, who I am. And I think that a lot of things can be stopped through education Mm. Um, and when you say sexual education, people think you're going to give condoms to like 10 year olds, but in reality, just little things as much as like telling kids to call their anatomy, scientifically correct names can stop mm. sexual abuse. A hundred percent. Um, and 100%. it's just little things like that, uh, that makes such a big difference in the grand scheme and just having these conversations. And then on the back end, like once our kids, kind of get to the age where these conversations become tangible, they feel comfortable turning to the adults in their life yeah. to talk about these things as opposed to navigating, navigating it themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And then lastly, to break the school to prison pipeline through therapy. Yeah. So um, I don't know how it affects you, um, like where you grew up, but in America, um, the kid, kids that get suspended, especially black and brown kids, um, it's kind of like a pipeline to prison. Um, statistics show that kids that get kicked out of school, suspended from school, automatically are more likely and prone to be arrested and imprisoned. Um, and a lot of it isn't because these kids are so bad, but our teachers have 40 kids in their classroom and they can't figure out why this kid is acting out and what's going on. Um, and these kids are coming to school from the environment they leave and having to bring that baggage and not being able to kind of cope with it and go through it so they act out. Um, so my goal is to provide free therapy to inner city schools. So instead of this kid getting suspended three, four times and now they're kicked out of school, once they've been in trouble a certain amount of times, you have to go talk to this therapist and it's no cost to you or your family. But we can figure out what's really going on instead of consistently marking you as a bad kid. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, well, off the, uh, off the record, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. There's a, there's a really cool non-for-profit that I could definitely link you with, uh, yeah actually uh, for the for the record they're called reborn social i know their co-founder maggie very well and uh she she and i uh you know we we talk a lot and, and you know what when you're in the community everyone wants to help and uh she just uh finished a course uh, on, on 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 teaching uh, you know mental health education to be able to teach mental health education in institutions and you know sort of uh how can you say it? Like nourish seeds within institutions to be able to teach others. So she went yeah, and got yeah. a, uh, uh, that type of certification. The name of it doesn't really come to my mind at the moment, but I could definitely, I know you guys. That's could, uh, so amazing. But yeah, that's like, so that's like my baby. Um, it's my, my brain child. It is what I would love to do 
for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. I always tell people, like, they're always like, you're so great, uh, you know? And I'm like, no, like, this helps me as much as it helps you. Like, I promise. Like, yeah. I just really get so much from, like, making a difference. And, it, yeah. like, this is what I'm passionate about, you know? Yeah. You know what, Imani? I always say the strongest people in the world have the biggest hearts. Uh, you definitely fall under that. And that's by no means <laughs> just a compliment. I, I, I can definitely, and I'm pretty sure all the listeners out there would definitely agree with that. Um, so on the show, we actually talk about empathy uh, a lot. Uh, no, <laughs> no wonder. Uh, how, how, how does empathy play a role in, in your life as a socially conscious athlete, or as I would call it, a change maker? And do you incorporate uh, empathetic leadership in your style as a woman leading the way for thousands, if not even millions of others in, in the sport, especially in the women's NBA? Man, empathy is undersold. Uh, you, tell him, it, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I think in order to make change, so like when you think about, it's like, let's just start with social justice, right? Yeah. When you think about social justice, a large part of social justice is asking people with privilege with a lot of things that benefit them, right? Like systematic oppression to give up this access, to give up this kind of upper hand. Yeah. And realistically, like just human nature, I'm not going to give up that my access and my benefits to help you unless I care about you, mm-hmm. unless it makes sense to me to do that. Mm-hmm. But just naturally, you don't do that. As a human, you don't give something up for someone else that you don't know or care about because why would I do that? And so like a big part of social justice is empathy, is getting these people to understand why they should care about something. And that's the same thing about mental health. Like how do I get somebody that's never had a mental health crisis that doesn't know personally someone that deals with mental illness to care about this? Because why would you? Why do you care about things that don't affect you? And obviously, when you think about it, someone else's suffering does affect me, but I have to be in the mindset to accept that. And that's what empathy does. That's what empathy is. It's caring about something that may not directly affect you, but because it affects someone else, I now want to fix it or want to solve it or want to help these problems. Mm-hmm. And without empathy, like this work doesn't matter because I can yell at you and tell you why this is important and beat down your door. But if you don't feel me, if you don't understand me, then it doesn't matter. You don't care. Yeah. And you know what? We're, we're hardwired for that. It's not like we're, we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, I think it's some, it, because we neglect it growing up with those uh, preconceived notions and, you know, um, all the, the walls we built between, uh, between ourselves and between certain ethnicities. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, we, let's not just get into this political agenda that, that we're sort of uh, <laughs> fed as we grew up. But you know what, as, as babies, as kids, you know, I don't, I, I don't even recognize a, a dark skinned person from a, from a light skinned person. You know, we just recognize souls, human beings. And for sure. And I think people automatically assume people that aren't empathetic are terrible people. Right. And mm. hot take, hot take here coming, coming hot take. Racists are not terrible people. They don't know better. Mm. 
Yes, 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 a hundred percent. And that like is the, ignorance is the problem, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know what? If sometimes, like, sometimes I, 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 I would think to myself, if if someone knew better, what would they do? If someone could really, if someone were blind, you know, if 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 colors never existed, how would that person's life some be different. And sometimes, you know what, sometimes I feel that people who are blind are blessed. People who are deaf sometimes are blessed because they, they, they see different perceptions of, they have to understand, they have to tap into those skill sets and hone things that otherwise quote unquote normal human beings wouldn't hone to be able to communicate and to be able to present themselves in different ways. And, you know, I, I strip everything I said apart. It's just empathy. It's understanding to connect. It doesn't mean that you specifically agree with the person in front of you, but you respect the person in front of you because if For there's sure. no respect, there's no progress. And, and like no when support. you think about like racism and just like mental health and the stigma attached to it, it's scared. It's, it's fear. It's xenophobia. I'm scared of things that are different because I don't know how to, I don't know how to like deal with it. I've never dealt with it. So like we're naturally like human nature is to gather with people like you. It's to create these communities of people like you and like isolate yourself from others. That's just how we talk. That's just how we kind of like bond as humans. So like a lot of it isn't so much. This person is so bad so much as I don't know how to deal with this situation. I've never encountered it. So I'm just not going to care about it. I'm not going to think about it. And like, it's always crazy to me because like you can meet somebody that is like completely on the other end of the spectrum of you. Like everything you say, they completely disagree with. But then they meet you. They meet somebody that is affected by the things that they disagree with. Yeah. And now it's like, well, I never thought about it like that because I've never experienced these things. Oh, wow. Like maybe, okay. You know, like in the conversation changes, but you can have the hardest like line about things that you've never experienced because it doesn't touch you the same. You can, you can theoretically say like, oh, I'm so against white walls. White walls are crazy. <laughs> and then you move into a house with white walls and you're like, wow, why did I feel this way so long about these things? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of crazy how, how things could be with perception. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you took me, you took me somewhere. You took me somewhere. <laughs> nah, um, Okay, if if you could name one life changing lesson that became that, that that you learned from becoming a pro athlete, what 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 would that be? Ooh, that's a tough one. All right, um, <laughs> a life changing lesson that I learned from becoming a pro athlete. Um, I think it would be. Uh, so it's kind of twofold. I'm that person that answers things. With multiple answers. Uh, sorry. Go for it. Go for it. Break the rules, eh? <laughs> um, so on one hand, it would be kind of, uh, I think that like you have to be politically aware. And not, I'm not saying that in terms of like Republican, Democrat, but just like you only can control what you can control. And so for me, for so long in my career, I've been like, man, if I play basketball and I do what you ask in practice, then it should be rewarded on the other end. But in reality, 
there's so many things that are bigger than you. So you have to go the extra mile to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to go the extra mile. And I'm not that type of person. I don't advocate for myself well because I kind of feel like the work is in the pudding, right? So like mm-hmm. if I show you, but in reality, like your coach isn't worried about you, right? Like you're just a piece in this huge puzzle. Mm-hmm. So your coach isn't fixated on you. So if you don't advocate for yourself, then they may forget or they may not realize like what you can bring. And so like, I think advocating for myself has been a huge kind of adjustment to just how I move. Um, and it's also, yes. And I think, um, it's also something that you're not necessarily taught, right? You're Mm -hmm. taught, do the work, take what you get, as opposed to like, there's nothing wrong with saying like, this is my resume and this is what I deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of having that kind of self-starter mentality. So I think that was kind of a different thing for me. And it took me a very long time in my career to kind of like figure that out. Um, and then I think the second biggest lesson is um, defining success for yourself. Yeah, that's uh, a huge one. Yeah, because especially like, you know, like as an athlete, if you're not gold medal first place, you suck. You're terrible. Oh, yeah. Like okay. you oh, don't yeah. exist. Oh, like yeah. you are a failure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that's unfair because at the end of the day, right? So say like I retire tomorrow and I mean I've gotten like one all WNBA thing in my five year career. But <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, like in my mind, I'm like, yo, I'm a failure. But at the end of the day, I'm one of 144 women in the world that gets to do this as a job. So me just making it here means that I'm a success, right? Now, I may have personal goals in terms of being an all-star, being a WBA champion. Yeah, but my, my being in this building means that I've, had, I've succeeded. And what I do from this point is only like an additive. It's only like a plus one, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And so I think like defining your success and what that means for you um, changes things. Uh, also, like, I got cut for the first time in my career. And I mean, like, in the, like, 10 years I've been playing basketball was last year. And I got cut from a Chinese team. And, like, I literally did everything I could. I was averaging a good number. I was, like, playing well. You know, like, I wasn't, like, yeah. an attitude problem. I did everything I could. And I got cut. Right? And the end of it was they, could, they didn't have enough money to pay me. Mm-hmm. So they cut me. Like that's the business side of it all. Right. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense from hindsight, but in the moment you're like, what the heck? Like I'm doing everything right. And I still get cut. And -hmm. it's like a blow to your personal ego, but stepping back from those situations and realizing like, Hey, I did everything I could. I did everything right. I did the work. I showed up, I produced, and it wasn't for me. This opportunity wasn't for me, period and kind of changing that conversation and being able to sit on the fact that like, Hey, I did everything I could. And this just wasn't my opportunity. It really just kind of changes like the viewpoint as opposed to me being like, I did everything I could and I'm a failure now. Yeah. And you know, like this, exactly. You know, like this opportunity just wasn't for me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And kind of just having that mentality definitely has helped me just like with my own confidence. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, sometimes not feeling like uh, you need to step up for yourself. Uh, well, when, when you first started, or this imposter syndrome type of uh, yes type of thing, and uh, you know, it's not just you. And it's funny you say this. You know, you're 
you're a woman, you're a WNBA champ. And it's funny because a lot of people, when <laughs> someone like you has the courage to come say this, uh, you know, on record, it's, uh, it's something we all feel. And, uh, part of, part of, part of the, the whole message here is we're all one, you know, whether we're wherever we are. Right. And I, I just found this so powerful that you mentioned that because I think we need, we need a lot more light on the imposter, uh, imposter syndrome, especially because a lot of people don't actually feel qualified or feel like they are good enough. What in in, where in retrospect they are the most qualified and the yeah. hard, most hardest working people in the room and yeah. that just screws me up in the head sometimes I wish I could do something to change that but um yeah. are you familiar with the mass singer the uh, tv show yes I am yeah okay so um Kelly Williams or no Michelle Williams from mm. Beyond, from Destiny's Child yeah. she was one of the singers um and like, so she got to, I think she was like the final four or something. She gets, she gets kicked off the show and they oh. figure out it's her. And mind you, like she is a Grammy winning, you know, like she has a freaking resume. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And her yeah. speech was, I haven't worked in like five, in like five years. And I was very, I was very like insecure about it. And I didn't know if I could do this. I didn't know if I was good enough and coming on this show, like I realized I am. And this just was something I needed for my confidence. And like, she is like, like one of the best. I know. You know, and she felt that way. And so just her being confident enough to say that, like, we all feel this way, right? So it's like, we all feel like, all right, have I done enough to deserve this opportunity? Like, am I good enough to stand in these spaces, to Mm -hmm. occupy these spaces? Um, And so like, I think like, it's just a very realistic feeling. Yeah, and it's it's crazy how embracing this deep, intimate sense of vulnerability, it's crazy how far that can go with someone just hearing it and knowing that, you know, they are not alone, just as just as you said it as we started the show, you know. The thing that's driving you, you know, into this purpose and into this message is uh, when you felt really alone as a kid and you didn't really think that someone out there was uh, was feeling the same thing. So, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so kind of... Uh, it's so beautiful to see how things sort of come uh, come back to you again, and, and I'm so I'm honestly just feeling so honored that that we're having this conversation. It's an honest and it's a, it's a, it's a much needed conversation, needs to say. For sure. Okay, so right now uh, <laughs> I know this is pretty deep, uh, but we're gonna go into the fireball segment on the show and. Uh, as, uh, as, as I briefed you a little bit earlier on uh, before we came onto the show live, uh, I'm just going to be making uh, adjusting my phone to a one-minute timer. And I will be firing questions right your way. Uh, and feel free to just respond as... Uh, in the way you want. Uh, it's just going to be right on the spot. And uh, usually that's my favorite part of the show. So give me one second. I'll adjust the my... pressure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> give me one second. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready, Money? I'm ready. All right. What's your biggest fear? Uh, inaccuracy. Favorite color? Baby Blue. Favorite basketball player? JaVale McGee. Proudest achievement? Uh, Still being here. Your biggest role model? 
Um, my brother. What's the number one thing that annoys you? Oh, smacking and lying. Favorite food? Uh, anything <laughs> my grandma cooks. The, the song that best describes your life? Uh, in Danger Species, Diane Reeves. Oh, I like that. Favorite movie? Waterboy. Favorite quote? Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Mary Ann Radmacher. Courage does not always war. Sometimes courage is a little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> that yes. Just, 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 just made it on time. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. You killed it. You absolutely killed it. <laughs> you got some hard hitters in there. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I changed them from, from show to show, just basic from, from guest to guest, sorry, just because I know that, you know, uh, some people are more inclined to like questions more than others. I, 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 tr- I try to make this as, uh, as, uh, as personal as possible. So yeah, I hope you did like it. <laughs> I did. I did. That was scary. All right. So right now what we will be doing is I'm just going to ask you one question right now. Um, I'll take you back to a time in your life um, where when you were 15 or perhaps even 12, 12 to 15 years old, what's one thing you would tell your 12 year old Imani or your 15 year old Imani? Uh, 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 I would say slow down. Um, like now, um, I'm not a patient person. Never have been. Patience is not my thing. That makes um, sense. <laughs> but now, like as an adult, I kind of understand the purpose in moments, uh, in stages, in being fully present and wherever I'm at, even if it's not where I'm so where my I think I'm supposed to be or the goal of where I want to be. Mm. Um, and so, like I think, especially as like a teenager, you're just so ready to get to the next level to grow up, to be like, I think 17 is the worst age ever because you're like kind of grown, but you're not really grown enough to make your own decisions, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you're so, you know, like you're so ready to be out the house and be on your own. And It's that gray area. You just, you just, you, you're not really stepping. Yeah. You don't, yeah. but on the ground, but you feel like you can take off and you just, yes. it's the age where you just freaking crash. I get it. <laughs> exactly. You know, so I think I would just say slow down. I think everything is like, every moment is necessary. Um, yeah. Every stage is necessary. And so figuring out why you're in this place. And I think also just like from a religious perspective, right? Like I'm Christian. And so mm. for me, like, why does God have me here? Even though I don't want to be here. Like, I think I should be, where this person is or in a higher level or at a higher opportunity, but God has put me here. Mm. Why am I here? What do I need to learn in this, in this season? Like, what do I need to take from this moment? And I think when you change, like perspective is so freaking powerful. And when you change your perspective to be like, all right, this isn't a failure or this isn't a setback. Like this is a necessary step. It just opens. It just like the universe just gives you what you need, right? Like when you're open to receiving yeah um oh merry christmas uh, <laughs> this is this is boxing day so uh on on our end and the in the, in, uh, in toronto or in the states i know it's uh, it's the 27th year end but nonetheless yeah <laughs> i needed to, to put that out um no i i and hey i i totally get the fact that 
you know, uh, we're very impatient. And and here's the thing: in hindsight, you know, we could we could tell our younger selves to to take it a little bit easier. But I I truly believe that everything um, really played out uh, perfectly well. I mean. Yes, it is a very important piece of advice to give yourself, but think about it. I think that your this impatience sort of helped you become who you are in, in so many different ways. And um, I, I, I think that, you know, we're built for the... I always ask this question because here's the thing. Um, I, I like to see how people and how guests and even I ask myself that question every single time I ask, ask you to, to think on the same wavelength. And it's, it's, it's funny because we, the things that we would tell ourselves um, take us back to the time that we were young. And, and it's almost like we get to relive our youth again for, for a moment or two. And um, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see that, you know, even though we could change things, um, sometimes you know usually the guests that i have on the show just message me after and they're like ali you know what take that out i want to change that and i'm like no i'm not changing that Uh, (laughs) because people in hindsight uh wouldn't change a thing and uh yeah most people at least but on to our last segment that is the personal legacy question and personally i there's i have mixed feelings towards that question because for everyone I mean, the last two guests I had on the show uh, had, it, it, it took them quite a while, you know, it took them quite a while to figure that out. So I hope that this one uh, really sort of hits right through. Um, and that is in 50 or 100 years time, if there was a book, if you were to write a book, a self-titled book, what would be the name of your book, Imani, and what would be written on the back matter of the book? What would be essentially written in the blurb? And who, who would actually, uh, who, who, who would you think would uh, would praise the book as well? Who would you trust enough to write a, a forward for the for your book? That's a new one. Man, you got a lot now. All right, so legacy. The name of my book. Um, be still here i like that that's, that's kind of like my that's like my my phrase uh because i think that there's so many things people obstacles that have tried to break me and i am still here gosh darn it um <laughs> and sometimes that is just what you need to focus on you know like, like some days that's all i got it's the fact that i'm still here mm-hmm. um uh, Audrey Lord has a quote. I'm going to totally butcher it right now. But it's basically <laughs> something um, to the effect of me getting up and existing every day is a protest. Um, and so, like, definitely still here. The back cover would probably say um, they know her for basketball, but she tried her hardest to use her platform to change the world. Um, whatever that looks like you know um, yeah. I think for me like if I if I die in the back of my book just says like she played basketball I'm gonna feel like a failure like <laughs> like basketball is cool but that's not changing the world you know like yeah. it's your voice it's, uh, it's, it's essentially your voice and 
it's funny. It's it's actually funny you say uh, you say that because I just had another uh, my my previous guest Hannah said that she's an Egyptian pioneer and and, and really uh, in in philanthropy she has this new platform and it's incredible. And she said exactly the same thing. And I find it extremely fascinating because the woman that I that I'm starting to bring on the show and I'm a, and I'm a man right I'm probably an alpha male <gasps> the women that I'm bringing on the show are literally spitting out words that I have never in my life seen um, coming out from women that are young that have so much drive and passion and energy and you know what I I, I truly don't know uh, don't know anything other than this is this is a great sign because uh you guys are um, are really changing the, the game here with with this just the words you're saying and and, and the actions that you're following through with with what you're saying. So I just need need to point that out because it really hit me hard when you said that. Changing no, like thank you. As much as like it's awesome that we do these things, but without allies, and it sucks to say it because I'm super feminist. But you need men in power to give us a chance. So oh, like, yeah, 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 you yeah. providing this platform is amazing. But you know what, Amani, it works both ways because just as um, I mean, to, for me, my mom is my one of one of one of my closest uh, friends. In fact, my best friend. Um, I, oh, I, I, so cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I always say it. I always say, it. you know, I may be tough on the outside, but on the inside, I'm as soft as it gets. And it's just because I've always had a, a mother that really nurtured until till this day, you know, we, we, we just never stop. And I mean, the thing is, um, just as we need men to really enforce women in leadership, because it, what really bothers me is, is that around 80% of leadership positions are still uh, being occupied by men. And that doesn't bother me that men are occupying it. What bothers me is that non-empathetic men are occupying it. Because if they, if we did have a little bit of empathy, the numbers wouldn't be like that. So that's that that that's how I'm approaching it. But the thing that I also want to say in on the other side, in contrasting to that point, is that women as well need to reinforce uh, empathetic masculinity and and not not enforce toxic masculinity. Because sometimes you know it's just as we have to help each other, we really have to help each other out on both ends, right? We really have to allow men to be vulnerable. We have to allow men to, and not shame them for, for really coming out and, 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 and sort of breaking that outer shell with, with women. Because Imani, if you, if you just guessed how many, and, and how many guys just DM me every day telling me, dude, what you're doing is, is, uh, is unbelievable. Like, uh, can, 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 can we, can we talk and can I actually express myself? And this, this guy told me the other day and I posted it on my story that he messaged me at a low time in his life. And I didn't even know that it was a low time in his life. And when I actually messaged someone back on Instagram and I've done that with you, right? I voice note people, uh, just cause I feel like <laughs> it's so personal. Yeah. It's so personal. People think that they're, I'm not a keyboard warrior, man. I'm just a human being. I want, I want to have real engagement, real interaction. And you know, he, he just, he just told me, dude, it, it kind of like got me back on my feet. And two months later, I just want to say thank you. And I'm writing my song and I want to send it to your email. I'm like, dude, throw it at me, throw it at me. But you know what? I'm a guy. I can be his brother. But 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 I don't think I don't think it would it would be as effective or even 
the, that level of intimacy that guys need like me, I can only dive so deep with my best friend. My best friend, I'm so lucky that he's one of the types of guys that I would call, I would have as, as a godfather to my daughter. And those are the types of people that I always want to be around. And it's funny because he's one of the most empathetic people that I know. But it's that same values that, that, that you need to have, uh, I mean, with your guy friends that sometimes you need, and you need it a little bit more from, 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 from the opposite sex in my point of view, because that level of intimacy in relationships can really make or break a guy. And that's what really allows um, men to be very toxic and very rigid versus, uh, versus very natural and ebbing and flowing. And I think also women really need to reinforce that. So I'm not taking sides here. I'm just saying the reality is, is as it is. Um, and, I, and I'd also like your opinion on that. I think it's like you hit the he- you just hit it perfectly. I think like that's exactly what we need and everything you're saying is so like powerful and spot on. And like, I'm just so like proud of you and I don't even know you like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, we're going to be best buddies. <laughs> yeah. I'm honored. No, like I think you did an amazing job. I think we talked about everything that needed to be said and you know, like empathy always wins. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Imani, for such a wonderful episode. Um, I find it very inspiring when leaders come out um, and are very vulnerable. I think there's something about, you know, um, something we feel that we really can't put into words when we hear deep stories that have made people become who they are. And it's not just inspiring, it's more sort of heartwarming and it feels so good to feel that you are not alone. And Imani's stories, I'm pretty sure like many others that have just gone to be silenced. And when you see someone playing at such a high level at the NBA, sharing that out, you feel a little bit more warm in today's world. That's the purpose behind Empathy Always Wins, to really connect us all together as leaders. Because it's not just about leading in a world where you have to put a professional face 100% of the time. It's about being a leader in your personal life and being able to empathize and understand within yourself to be able to have compassion with others. Last but not least, I'd love to say thank you for all our listeners for tuning in. Without your support, we wouldn't have been able to now have secured a New York Times best-selling author coming very soon to Empathy Always Wins. As of now, on next week's episode, we have Swish Goswami. And Swish is a 21-year-old serial entrepreneur. He sits on Forbes Technology Council. And we are extremely excited for his episode next week. Make sure to tune in Tell your friends that this is the youth leadership podcast they need to tune into because we are continuously growing our network and making sure that we bring leaders that deserve to be heard for our youth community of change makers. You can now find us on Instagram to share your feedback at empathetic leaders, or you can find me at Ali Salama all across social media platforms. Again, guys, it is such an honor to walk this journey together. A journey whereby empathy and compassion will always be the leading characteristics in making us the best leaders for tomorrow and today's generation 
as not only youth leaders, but change makers and making a real impact in today's world. And just remember, in life and in business, empathy, real empathy always wins. <laughs>